and we are live. We're back, baby. Back Welcome. Again. Welcome to Ladies the and show. gentlemen and other Welcome to Catholic Other instances of human beings, wherever you may yes. be on the various spectrums. Yes, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we today are going to be having a little bit of fun. We, we decided we were going to switch it up a little bit. Oh, no, 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 no. We didn't decide. This was, a, this was a listener request. Don't you forget it. What? Don't you remember? Somebody asked us if we would do this. Or somebody said, suggested this episode topic to you. You're the one who told me that. I forgot about that completely. Can you jog my memory? Yeah, so you, you told me specifically that somebody reached out to you and said it would be fun for you guys to do some facts about animals. Oh, wait Why is a my minute. Me- I drink way too much for my memory to be better than everybody else. I don't understand it. Well, it's not that your memory's better. It's just that you remember random shit. <laughs> I mean, we all kind of remember random shit, right? And then we remember the things that we remember. But, but maybe you do have a remarkably have a good memory. capacity for remembering random shit. Yeah, me too. Like, that's the only shit I tend to remember is, like, the shit that... Doesn't, doesn't fucking, actually matter. Like, I don't remember <laughs> that I have a meeting at this certain time and I need to, like, eat before, but I'll remember some obscure fact about llamas. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'll hear it once and just remember it for the rest of my life. Just like, yep, that's that's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're supposed to be doing intros now. I don't know if you remember that's that. That's what I was trying to do. But then you derailed me, as is no, as is my as is my penchant for yeah uh, your your forte. So yeah, anyways, people, welcome to uh, Casual Cognition. Yes, exactly. It's okay. And, we're uh, only two minutes in. Well, I kind of did like half Dog. of the intro already. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we just thought it would be fun to switch it up a little bit and just give you a classic fun facts episode right just your classic run-of-the-mill happy-go-lucky animal fun facts animal fun facts like this animal that is barking at me after i just took her out i will spit hot coffee at you dog that's animal abuse nate oh yeah animal abuse is what this animal abuses me with Oh, fucking hot, hot take, hot take. (laughs) (laughs) We should be more concerned about animals abusing humans, huh? (laughs) Dog bites, man. Uh, With her, it's just dog annoys man constantly. Well, she is a puppy, right? I mean, she's over a year old now, so I don't know if I can fully, uh, fully call her a puppy anymore. So I, I think I officially have the right to complain to my girlfriend who adopted the dog. So um, she, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> I do love the dog. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a hopeless animal lover, and I and I am going to talk about some dog stuff this today. Well, so. let's hear it, man. What do you What do you got? Well, I'm going to take a different approach to this whole animal facts thing. Because when I first 
heard this suggestion, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, we're going to do some interesting facts about the animal or about random animals that we, uh, that we decide on. And then I thought, well, maybe it would be fun to take a little bit of, a, of an angled approach to this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And do a little bit of um, historical background on some of our favorite furry friends. So I'm going to talk about dogs, cats, and horses today. And um, what I found through my research on this is that I, like, <clears throat> sorry, folks. It's the morning. I get phlegmy in the morning. I have asthma and allergies. Um, but yeah, I, I, we could literally do a podcast on the history of each one of these animals in full for a long time. I mean, it's so deep. So I'm going to, this is going to be a very surface analysis because this is fun animal facts. This is not the uh, detailed historical analysis of the horse's impact on humankind. But um, yeah, yeah, since I already um, mentioned dogs, dogs are one of the earliest uh, domesticated animals. And th this is actually something that was, that was very interesting to me. <clears throat> because I um I, I I've known kind of the general timelines of domestication of, of various animals, but I did not know the the sort of um, shall I say the the vast gap between dogs and horses specifically, mm. um, but also cats. Cats and horses are somewhat close together. Dogs, on the other hand, dogs were domesticated probably around between like 30, like 25 to 35,000 years ago. Like before, long before agriculture. Longer, dogs were domesticated. We have evidence, at least, of dogs being domesticated in... in, in so much longer before we developed agriculture <clears throat> that we're actually closer to the development of agriculture today than the development of agriculture is to the domestication of dogs. Oh, by a, lo by a by long, a long shot, shot, too. Almost double. I think, it, yeah, I guess it depends on, depends on if you yeah. go by uh, Graham Hancock's <laughs> yeah, well, uh, theories, <laughs> theories or not on that. But like, yeah, at least 12,000 years ago in general is this is the is the sort of anthropologically, historically, whatever you want to uh, say. So it could be like three to four times yeah. longer ago yeah. than now to agriculture, which yeah. is pretty insane. So we've been in, in the, I, the, the sort of... Um, advent of this <clears throat> gosh I'm sorry um, is thought to be kind of a, a symbiotic hunting relationship where, where wolves um, and this is a little little side thing all dogs are um, are descended from wolves so if you if you have a chihuahua if you have a poodle German shepherd obviously husky obviously those are all from the same animal um, within, you know, uh, around probably 30,000 years. And 
and and more so like in the last in the last probably it's accelerated with the so. way that the our understanding like with selective breeding and stuff they've yeah they've we've basically eugenics dogs to be to take wolves into chihuahuas it's kind of it's kind of horrifying the monstrosities that humans have horrifying. created by by selecting for specific genes and, and fucking and pugs. We, poor pugs when we yeah one of the things that fascinates me about this like topic of because because you're kind of taking the tack of like almost like the history of domestication because those three animals are like the yeah, they're, mo they're most highly domesticated animals in the west and like i find what i find really fascinating about about that is the uh, like from an evolutionary perspective, how that symbiotic relationship and interaction develops like certain traits and selects for certain traits. Yeah. Um, it's really, really like, fascinating. Like, so for example, actually in that same vein, so a dog is very attentive to human body language. So um, mm. this is, there's actually been a study on this particular one you can use pointing like if you if you create a little puzzle for a dog in a cage you can point to the solution and the dog will pay attention to the solution and it'll, it will it will watch your suggestion and your yeah. hand signals and it will figure it out if you put a wolf or a coyote in the same situation they won't figure it out they can't like they, they they do not look at humans and you know it kind of makes sense as like a wild animal these are not you know they didn't just pick up a wolf off the street like these are still um in they like in grew captivity. up in yeah, captivity they're right? in captivity their yeah. brains just don't have the same capacity to um they they don't they haven't evolved this like symbiotic relationship with us and so dogs are are I mean, it's it's obvious whenever you, as I said, you look at something like a pug or a chihuahua um, to see the the effect of, of human symbiosis on on the uh, on the dog. Well, we might argue that those that's not a symbiotic relationship, right? Those are no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, those are parasites. No, I'm just I'm just fucking <laughs> I'm just fucking around. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I mean, it started as a symbiotic relationship where we. Um, you know, we're you're around a fire or you're around a kill, and there's wolves around. You know, I, I one thing that's very interesting to me around wolves whenever I um, look into this subject is the whole kind of fear that humans have of wolves, because it's mm. actually extremely rare, almost unheard of, for a wolf to attack a human in the wild. <clears throat> it's right. It's, it's extremely rare yeah i mean they mostly like they'll mostly go for the young yeah if they were to go for a human prey. it would be a child it would be a child or yeah. you know like somebody who was like bleeding out on the road or something like that like they're not just yeah. gonna like the the whole fantasy trope of um of wolves like attacking a traveler down the road when they're walking right. at night like that just doesn't happen it's not it's, it's very not part very of wolf rare behavior and, and also, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I think that one of the biggest reasons why we have developed this sort of negative trope towards wolves is because they do, um, they do pick off a lot of livestock. I completely agree. I definitely think it's been as a result of mm -hmm. generations and generations of, 
I mean, and a lot of it is like subsistence farming, yeah, right? I was, like I was if you're, literally about to say, if you're a subsistence farmer and a wolf yeah. comes and eats all your chickens, maybe that is going to kill you. That's a huge. That's a huge deal. So they're like, it made sense that they're gonna they're gonna be uh, pretty pretty heavily armed against them. But like now, well, it's it's also fascinating, and this is all oh, this is mind blowing. All of these interactions because in many many places around the world. Um, particularly here in Scandinavia and also in the US like wolves are uh I don't know if they're endangered but in in certain yes, areas they they've endangered. basically they've basically been wiped out right so yeah. they almost went uh, extinct in North America yeah they almost went extinct right so and and the, mainly the crazy because thing, we killed them farmers oh, yeah. killed them Ma- mainly yeah, because that's a big... we we white we there was there used to be a bounty on going yeah. out, like hunters would just go out and, and kill wolves, not for any specific reason, not for the pelts, not for anything, because there was a government-sponsored bounty on killing wolves right. to protect farm livestock. And dude, this is a classic example of the human propensity to for short-term thinking and yeah. not a, a, analyzing systems with with. Um, the long-term consequences, right? Because the perfect example of this, they 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 found, uh, and there's a cool video of this on YouTube, of um, in Yellowstone. Yeah. When the wolves disappeared, the it completely changed the landscape. Yeah. It changed like the, the way that the geography. river. Yes, the changed the way that the river was running, because. Yeah, so there was this chain reaction where because there were no wolves, um, like the deer all and of elk and moose populations exploded, skyrocket because the, the the you know small percentage of the young aren't getting picked off. Yeah, they're, they're just their exploding. Predator, their main predator has now disappeared. Yeah, disappeared, and hence they there's so many of them that they eat all of the vegetation that protects the river from eroding yeah. the banks of the river from eroding so it literally turned this like beautiful winding river into just like a like a highway uh, <laughs> like, it's like just a, a highway straight. right yeah and and it's total and it's really fucked up because that affects all of the organisms that are living in the water and yeah. the way and the way that uh, and around nutrients it. flow with like the silt and there's all, so there's yeah. this crazy complex of interactions right um, and then, but then when they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, it like, all came it, back. It came back, right? So, so we like, and this is why I really don't want us to get so fucking defeated about the issues that we're having with with um, collapse of ecosystems and stuff like this. Because, like, dude, we have we if we work with nature like we can bring the shit back man yeah, it comes defeatism back quick. is not the attitude like we no nah. we got to fight against it we got to fight for the planet um but yeah and with, so like with and as the planet you know like we we're fucking cells in this super organism yep, right and unfortunately we're the brain cells and a lot of us are not very good brain cells <laughs> Um. So yeah, we um, it's it it's it's very interesting to take a look at the history of the dog. But I, I as I said, I could go on and on and on about each one of these animals. So I'm gonna uh, why don't I turn it over to you? You can you can take a turn on okay. one of yours. 
and then I'll move All on right. to the cat. Cool. So, yeah, my my approach from this was like more from a from a behavioral bi- and biological yeah. perspective. Like, because yeah, as I mentioned, to, like I'm I'm really interested in like the evolutionary stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's uh, provides us with a nice balance, right? Yeah, uh, and like put you know the co- like it's nice to. I mean, it's kind of we're kind of doing like a glass bead game kind of thing in yeah, a way, yeah, right? It is. Like, there's the historical perspective, there's the biological perspective, there's the like, and then there's the behavioral like layer and 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 ecological and oh yeah. yeah so before last thing I will say, yeah. Um, before is that um, a lot of these animals have been evolved for hundreds of thousands if not millions of years before we domesticated them mm. so there's there's also a very interesting angle in sort of like like when they converge into the human experiment you know because yeah. it, it, it it just completely changes their evolutionary pathway so there's yeah. also a full-on like evolutionary aspect to this so yeah it is a little bit like a glass bead game yeah, it's it's very it's very fun. I, I'm I'm into it. Uh, so <laughs> it's funny. I kind of feel like th- this is like feels like something that that I would do as like a fifth grade class project or something <laughs> like that. It kind of does. And it's fun, right? So now we get to we get to present our findings, right? Yeah. Uh, but my so class, my project today <laughs> is around the dog. <laughs> exactly. Dogs have been with humans for a long, long time. <laughs> that was a nice fifth grader impression, dude. <laughs> so the the approach that I took for the first one, and this was honestly, uh, I know you you mentioned before that we kind of chose animals at random, but like, I'm I'm definitely heavily biased with this one. Uh, <laughs> when I was a child. One of my, one of my identities. Gonna, you haven't even what, said it. I know which one you're gonna do. One of my identities as a child. Uh, I was a gamer. I loved playing video games, right? Mm. And you know, a very it's it's almost a rite of passage, especially it it kind of was a rite of passage actually, because you know I had an older brother. He kind of like introduced me into video games so like i you know i played the super nintendo when i was a kid and the nintendo 64 and like and eventually he kind of like introduced me to uh i think it was like the xbox or something you know with his friends they had been playing and i had been hearing whispers of it from from above and it was my turn to create a gamer tag right and and uh, the the approach that I took to create the gamer tag was apparently this was a thing. And what you do is you just open up the dictionary and then find a word. Or I don't know if this was a thing or not, but this is what I did. And this is what I was instructed to do. And just like find a word in the dictionary that, that you like. And then you make a... Make a gamer tag off of it right so i opened up the dictionary i just random page put my finger there and i look at the word 
and it's pompous. Pompous. <laughs> pompous. And I, mind you, I was, you know, in like third grade or fourth grade or something. So I had never seen the word. And when I read what it meant, I instantly fell in love. So, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, the rare uh, pompous. It actually so, exists in Tanzania. So pomposity is essentially this kind of like arrogance. Um particularly a word you know yeah it's basically me right i'm very it's like the opposite of humble right in, in a sense but it has this air of like i don't know i feel like somebody who's pompous like they have to be wearing a wig or something at the same time you know <laughs> like that's that's part of it for me but okay so that was the first word i was like ooh, pompous i like that that's a good one and then i was like you know what i'm just gonna fucking do another word Open to another random page, put my finger down. And the word is alpaca. <laughs> and I thought, pompous alpaca. And then I was like, ah. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. It's a little bit, it's, I don't know. It just wasn't quite gonna, there for me. You chew on that word. But then alpaca. I was like, hmm. Alpaca is, maybe... a, is a hell of a word all on its own. Exactly. It's exactly. So, but what I ended up doing was I chose a, a close relative of the alpaca, uh, which is the the llama, and for many Popular years I was known I was known as pompous llama. Pompous that was my first llama. that was my first identity in the virtual space. <clears throat> that was before any social media, anything like that. I was I was pompous llama, and ever since then I've had an affinity for the creatures. And you, um, uh, I was about to say, what's your chest name? Is your chest name Pompous Llama? I think it is. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, any any time I I sign up for different stuff like that, it's usually Pompous Llama, just you know, as a throwback, <laughs> right? And and since then, I've I've always kind of Fidget had an affinity for the <laughs> it's the Pompous Llama. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's why that's how I chose the first the first animal it's the llama and funnily enough the llama is also a domesticated yeah. creature um and one of the but main the domesticated creatures in south america so yeah that's the interesting thing right it's but it's like the south i would actually say that it's it's very it's similar to the horse in many ways um but it's specifically Can you ride a llama? They're, They're mostly used ride, as, right? as pack animals. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I, I would say it's less akin to the to the horse and more akin to the donkey. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It it depends on what it depends on your level of analysis. I got you, because you can ride a donkey, but it was more used as a pack a pack animal. Could be, but but I but I think lo- the llama is is like. We'll, we'll we'll get into it. So <laughs> let's, let's so dive in. Let's dive in. So the first the first kind of like surface level that you can kind of see when you look at a llama is it's it's a member of the camelid family, right? So you got camels, obviously. You can see the resemblance in the yeah. face, and there's also al- alpacas. And they both spit at you. And there's also a couple. There's a couple other cousins that haven't been domesticated, actually, and they're way less uh, friendly when it comes uh, to humans. But 
It's funny you mentioned the spitting because that was that's one of the things that I like about the llama the most. So and and the idea of the pompous llama <laughs> is you have this creature who's fucking looking around and just like, oh, you bitch, and then spits in spits your fucking you. face. Actually, I don't know if camels spit on you. Do camels spit I, at I you? I don't. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I know I, I, I know alpacas I will also it, I, don't, I don't think I think it's spit. llamas and alpacas. I don't know if camels will, but yeah, fucking spits at you. Like what a crazy what a, yes. What a pompous thing to do. Right? So <laughs> it's I not love even that. much of a defense mechanism. It's just to fuck you. Well, it's it's actually it's very interesting uh because it's it's related to they have a very uh dynamic social hierarchy. So they're constantly challenging other members of the herd. And one of the like low level challenges is spitting. So that'll be like before they start like bumping heads and shit and like, you know, hit oh, each other. Do they, do they the giraffe neck. each other? They'll 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 like they'll body each other and they'll swing fucking their fucking they'll head swing around. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll they get so they go pretty great. hard. But it's it starts with not just spitting, but they'll also stick their tongue out at llamas that they that are pissing them off that's amazing so it'd be like funny just fucking pointing directly at whoever's annoying them right (laughs) i'm just like dude dude, this is fucking awesome i love this sort of shit dude this animal behaviors like this especially the the sort of like obvious communications like this are so fucking hilarious like like Dude, you, you it's just think, hilarious. like, put yourself in the mind of a llama being like, did that motherfucker just stick his tongue out at me? I will <laughs> yeah, go over exactly. there and hit him you right in the chest up, with my spit head. On his, <laughs> yeah, well, first right you spit on his face. face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! God. So I mean, and we're we're just getting started, dude. We're just getting started with these motherfuckers. So, so one thing you might ask is like, like people think llamas and alpacas are this are like the same thing, and and I they are. They are similar in many ways, but the thing that one or some of the things that are interesting. Eighty percent of my llama knowledge comes from the Emperor's New Groove. And and I mean that's a good start, you know. It's a, <laughs> it's a it's a good foundation. <laughs> but we're diving deep here on casual cognition, dude. We're we we're going <laughs> we're going all the way. So, uh, yeah. If you if you wonder the difference, and actually, it's funny you say that because. I think he looks more like an alpaca. He specifically actually mentions um, in in that movie that uh, Pacha, his his sort of human sidekick, is um, he he is a llama farmer, and he has a uh, like a like a robe on or something like that. And at one mm. point, Cusco, the llama character, he kind of feels he's like, oh, that's nice, alpaca. And and Poch is like, yep. So like they they conflate llamas and alpacas in that ah. in that movie. I think that's where right. my perception ah, of them being could the be. same thing came from. Right. Wow. Interesting. So yeah, I mean they they're similar in a lot of ways, right? But like one of one of the main differences is llamas are much bigger. So llamas can be up to I think they can be up to like four hundred and fifty pounds. Oh really? Whereas alpacas are it's like maybe deer sized. They they, like, they they can get pretty damn big, especially compared to alpacas, which I think are closer 
maybe the higher end is around 250 or so you know this is ballpark like stuff goat sized or something like that yeah yeah except the the proportions are yeah they're, they're weird because they got the necks and, and they yeah they're taller and exactly and so the main difference that you'll see is the size llamas are quite they're heftier and also they look more alert because of their like banana shaped ears that stick straight up like they're 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 they more they, they got look funny more faces yeah they do and and you can really see the the resemblance with camels yeah when you when you look at their faces which i also like i love i love camels as well they're so I had a camel strange lick me in the face once at a zoo and it made me so happy i've had a smile yeah. on my face all day right yeah it's it's there's they're really cool creatures um and then i think yeah the other thing is and this is kind of interesting too i think llamas have a longer history with human beings they're fully domesticated mm. so by the way they're, camels actually exist in the americas people right they do right so sorry go on that was just a oh, side it's all fact. Good. people I, it's I, all I, good. a lot of people don't realize that the camels do exist in the americas naturally mm. i'm pretty sure I, I don't think that they were exported here uh i feel like they probably were but i'm not sure well go either on way, i'll look it up <laughs> yeah yeah um either way the the alpaca yeah yeah so since llamas have a longer history or this is my my theory right that like i think that because they've been you know working alongside humans for a longer period of time there's kind of been this like selective pressure uh that has selected for more independent llamas so like alpacas are very herd oriented like they're they're much they're herd creatures whereas llamas like they kind of do their own thing like they're still they're still very social and they're they're part of the herd but they're more independent and they're generally a lot friendlier uh to humans contrary to popular belief <laughs> so it that's kind of like interesting they were, uh, they were imported yeah but there are Not wild export, camels yeah. that still exist today Right, they were imported initially, and then, yeah, they yeah. escaped or <clears throat> got cut loose. Yep, so now there's wild camels in the uh, southwestern United States, actually, where you and I nice. used to live. In oh, cool. deserts of Arizona down in, down in the south. Makes sense. So I still got, dude, I still got a host of interesting facts about the llamas. I'm going to try to... You, gonna thought, try to you thought this was going to be a short one. I was laughing. I was like, dude... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is gonna be the longest fucking. This is gonna be three hours. No, I, don't, I think we'll be able to get I don't through have time it. Time for three hours, but re relatively quick. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stay, I'm trying to stay, uh, stay moving here. So, because there's a bunch of interesting shit, dude. Llamas are fucking cool, dude. All of this stuff. I, I feel like we could do a two parter on this, but yeah, let's see how let's see how it goes. And I, I think I'll be able to wrap up my my stuff pretty pretty feasibly, like in a in a in a good amount of time so again going back to this this uh concept of domestication right like so so the llama was domesticated by the ancient people of the andes right the andes so you mountains. can imagine you can imagine them fucking trekking through these crazy mountainscapes and that's one of the things that's really cool because the llama on. the llama is like re they're 
great um, incredible climbers in these in these rocky environments right there's yeah. so they're, they've been super valuable as, as pack animals and one of the things that I think is less known about the llama is it actually makes a great uh, guard animal so oh, this is really interesting I think this is also related to domestication but they will engage in interspecies adoption so, like, if you really? have a herd of, like, goats or sheep or, like, ducks or something and you and you raise them with a llama, the, the llama will adopt uh. them as their herd. And because they're so much bigger, they'll, they'll like, they could, they could easily fend off a wolf or, yeah, I mean, those you know, things are it, fucking mean. Yeah, they're... Donkeys and mules will do similar shit. Um, yeah. There's actually a you, video you don't out there mess of this mules fucking up a mountain lion like oh like shit fucking it up yeah like tossing it around like grabbing it by the neck and fucking flinging it around it's like like oh damn don't, don't fuck with the hooved animals yeah <laughs> yeah they're they're, they're serious yeah that's why predators i don't think people realize that like that's why predators go after the weak and the young because if you go after the adults the adults will fuck you up and that's the balance right like yeah. that's the whole that's the whole subtle the evolutionary balance game there yeah so yeah i thought that was very interesting that is another interesting. thing i didn't know that yeah another thing that i that i thought was really cool is they communicate a lot through humming humming so yeah so they'll so for, first of all baby llamas i think they're called kriyas they learn to recognize their mothers by the way that they hum and so they'll just be they'll be hanging out and humming and and they they'll hum and like uh they'll make different noises if they're anxious tired uncomfortable excited curious like and that's funny they're they're a, is, they're a noise they're noisy when yeah, they're vocal exactly and i think that's part of why i, I resonate with llamas so much is because i'm the same way like i'm always shut making the fuck up <laughs> exactly that's i mean that's why we have a fucking podcast right like we're pompous we're fucking always looking down and spitting on people and we just don't <laughs> shut the fuck up so check this out isn't bro. that the point of a podcast that's that's the point i mean let's be real but dude you gotta hear this you gotta fucking hear this in addition to humming llamas make a unique gargling noise called an orgel an when they're mating Okay. <laughs> the llama mating call is a gargle. It's, it's not even a mating call. It's while they're mating, they'll oh, make a gurgling that's noise their, that's their called an orgle. <laughs> that's, that's like them moaning in pleasure. Yeah, while they're moaning, they're just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called, uh, people, one more time. It's called an orgle. Uh, an orgasm orgle. That is fucking hilarious. Not only that, female llamas. Where did you find these facts, buddy? I think I I found some. I don't even want to look on the website you were looking at. I I took a couple different sources. I didn't want to just like take all the shit from one source. I think this might have been Smithsonian article or something like that. I'm I'm not sure. Oh sure. But Smithsonian uh, Triple X. Bro, if you keep interrupting, <laughs> if you, it's so fun. I love, like, I love this fucking banter, but we're never, never gonna, gonna get, get through, through this if we keep 
even it's worth it's, i don't know let's just we'll just keep going we're, we're, we're not through. in a ru- we're not in a rush though because this is so fun i'm really not this. in a rush i don't have a super busy morning this this morning i don't know okay. what you have to do so like no I, i'm I, chilling dude yeah, i'm totally so I, totally I chilling to be in a rush like okay like, good good specifically that's, that's... picked this day because i knew i i've been working my ass off all fucking week yeah so if somebody wants me to get out there they can wait Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, then we're chilling, we're chilling. We're chilling. So last thing about the noises, which I love, is uh, female llamas will make clicking noises. So mm. I don't know what those mean, but I can just imagine the lady llamas is like, <laughs> like, eh? you know, like, I, can, I just, <laughs> the lady I have an active, active imagination, I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh man, Hank, I think you. I think you might have developed a llama fetish. A little this, bit. A little the bit. Research on this episode. I have to say, I have to say, I'm quite enamored with them. Here's more. So, the llama, they have an amazing attribute. Uh, their poop is almost odorless so back in the day it was used um in the andes it was used uh as fuel like fire starter used as used as fuel and also obviously they they use it as manure but the funny thing i love this little things like manure being fertilizer people yeah fertilizer um dude this this got me this, this, these are the little things that fucking get me. Llama farmers refer to the poop as llama beans. Llama beans. <laughs> so I can just imagine, like, so they, they have like the pellet poop, like, a, yeah, like yeah. an elk. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, so not only that, couple, couple more, oh, couple geez. more things here. Almost done with the llamas. One, one more fact, like one of the main reasons why people, why they're, um. You know, f- let's say farmed these days is they have uh, really amazing. Their wool has really amazing properties. So better than sheep's wool. Yeah. So the the wool is like soft, really soft and lightweight, but it's also warm at the same time. So they'll use like the undercoat to make clothing, and then they'll use the outer coat to make like carpets and and more kind of like abrasive insulation stuff like that yeah um so basically they're just all around amazing creatures and can you um, eat them are they do they make good eating i don't i don't think i'm sure you can eat them but you know what i mean it's probably similar to like a horse thing where it's kind of like a last resort yeah like you don't eat as much mutton as you do pig yeah, like you wouldn't want to eat your your homie that's like helping you carry shit around and like guarding the the herd and stuff. Yeah, it's right? more like, valuable as a uh, as, as for all the other things it gives you rather than the meat. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, I'm fucking. Uh, I got a little no pain going on this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But yeah. That but is, one uh, thing. That would be cool, like because that's that's pretty much what I got for the llama. But it's mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting. Like I think it would be cool to uh, 
throw the throw the hot potato over to you uh and you can you can okay. enlighten us a bit on horses because be there better. is a kind of similar um a similar thing going on there right i think i've got i've definitely got the most written down here about the horse horses are um probably my favorite animal um i love my dogs um love love my cats um, but horses have always f- held a special magic to me. Oh, excuse me. Um, my earliest memory is on the back of a horse, riding on the back of a horse. Well, um, whenever I was probably four or five years old, horse named Shiloh. Um, and I have raised many a horse with my mother. Um, I, I get the pleasure whenever I go and visit her um, <clears throat> of getting to see this horse that is, um, she's in her 20s, so that's pretty old for a horse. Horses can actually live into their 40s in certain cases. Whoa. Usually, typically, domesticated horses um, start to get uh, irre- irreconcilable health issues um, in their late teens and 20s. But if they're taken care of very well, then they can live into their 40s. And uh, Summer, this horse in, uh, in question, is um, in her 20s. And she is, um, I think, early 20s. Actually, I think she's, she might be right around 20 now that I'm thinking about it. Because I actually, I, I, I was there when this horse was born, and I was the first person to ever ride her. And... She is, um, so yeah, she's probably right around 20. And she's still doing great, very spry. And she is a uh, a, a very special horse. Um, Very expensive whenever my mom bought her many years ago. Because my mom kind of bought her as a dressage horse. And for those who don't know what dressage is, this, this will get into some of my fun horse stuff. Um, dressage is basically like horse <laughs> I've heard it described as horse ballet mm. um, <clears throat> sounds about right yeah and uh, I remember people <laughs> the wider country was introduced into the concept of dressage back in I believe it was 2012 because Mitt Romney the Republican candidate for presidents for president um uh, f- during the election before Barack Obama's second term, he, you know, obviously he's, he's a rich guy. And his, I guess his daughter or something like that was into dressage. Mm-hmm. And he made the, uh, the, the faux pas of kind of basically insinuating that dressage could be enjoyed by people of all incomes. And people were mm. quick to point out, like, um, you have to have a horse to do that. Right. <laughs> like, what do you mean dressage can be enjoyed by people of all incomes? People of all incomes can't afford a dressage horse. Right. But um, not all horses can do dressage. And it is very, um, it, 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 like, depends on their gait and their muscularity and their ability to do certain movements, especially sideways movements. Do they do it with someone riding? Yes. Riding it? Yes. Yeah. 
I, I can actually ride dressage. Um, I can do a little bit of oh. dressage. Yeah, yeah. I'm fucking... Talk about pompous, bitch. I can do horse ballet. Um, but wow. only on... only I've only been able to do it on two horses, which is um, Summer and then my ex's horse, which is also dressage-trained uh, Maverick. But, I feel bad for any horse that has to do ballet with your fat ass on top. <laughs> Maverick and Summer are both big muscular horses, so they yeah. they could handle me. And right. believe it or not, this is this is what I was getting to is that Summer, and I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'll never get tired of mentioning this. Summer, anytime I come to the house, come to my mom's place, Summer will smell my scent from like a mile away. I, I actually, mm. I joke that she like senses me coming through the ether because my mom has mm. told me multiple times that she just starts getting excited. Like she'll just start pacing around and looking around like like hours before I even arrive. Dude, I bet, or the, I have a, I have a theory on that. I What's bet that? summer is picking up on the emotional state of your mom who's probably. probably excited that you're coming and they're probably. totally oh yeah uh connected totally right linked. so that's, that's so, my mom's main horse and yeah so she's gonna be super tuned in to yeah. how your mom is feeling and of course she's gonna be fucking stoked that her son is coming to visit right yeah. so that's actually that's probably a part really of good point <clears throat> and that is probably it and when i show up and she does actually get my scent. She starts running around and getting super excited. Oh, and when amazing. I go in, I go in the pen with her, she just she loves on me, and and you can tell that the horse recognizes me. Mm. And it's something very very special about having this you know twelve hundred pound animal, this massive giant of an animal, mm. just come up to you and treat you in this loving gentle knowing way like she knows wow. me and um the other the thing about i am going to get into some fun horse history but um another f really special thing about uh riding horses in this way because it's you you've, you've uh, been on some trail rides and stuff and yeah. uh, you and i have talked about this particular phenomenon it's not the same if you just kind of go out on a trail ride with a trail horse because they're just mm. you know that's that's their job they're basically yeah they're not gonna emotionally invest in you like they know yeah. they're you're never gonna fucking see them again it's just another fucking day on the job right like yeah there's they're not gonna get a connection with them yeah but with a horse like summer and uh, and with me um she uh, the only people who are allowed to ride summer are my mom and, and i because it's um yeah you, know, you kind of have to be a little delicate with her and you also she she can be very dangerous for a beginner to ride because she'll just buck you off yeah like she she gets excited she's full of personality and if she starts getting excited she might just fucking say i'm done with you i want to go run <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and i know how to get her under control if, he, if she does that yeah um and she also might just get excited and say i want to run now <laughs> and, right. and she might take off. Right. So you have to like you have to be an experienced rider to properly ride summer safely. Mm -hmm. And so uh, only my mom and I are allowed to ride her. And um, the I, I've ridden many many horses over the years, and I always enjoy riding horses. But there's something completely different about riding summer because summer and I know each other. 
she loves me i love her and there Your is this like sync up yeah but there's like <laughs> this this intense um indescribable connection yeah because i am i'm t- I, you know i'm controlling her in every almost every movement you know and she has my life in her hands and i'm trusting her because if i fall off i can die you know i can hit my head on a rock and die people do it all the time it's the yeah. most common death that happens from horses is people falling off hitting their head and dying oh yeah dude my my mom's neighbor she was really into horse riding and yeah she fell off hit her head and she she didn't die but like she's just never yeah, the she's same not the again. same yeah brain damage now she yeah, she has yeah irreparable brain damage i make she's people like, wear helmets my mom and i make people wear helmets whenever they're riding horses yeah i mean she'll let yeah, me ride without a helmet but <laughs> nobody else it's i mean it's a good call it's super dangerous like she's yeah she's i basically, typically will, will wear one anyways it's just stupid yeah not, it'd be it'd be like it's 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 like riding a motorcycle without a helmet or something like that or, or driving yeah. a car without a seatbelt. it's just like there's there's one major major cause you can die from doing this activity and you can prevent it with this simple measure all you yeah. gotta do it's one thing all you gotta do is <clears throat> look and it's so look it's weird goofy. how people yeah, yeah. like you and, gotta and look sometimes goofy. horse helmets are goofy as fuck oh yeah true 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 but dude like they, motorcycle they helmets are look, fucking cool yeah motorcycle helmets look cool you look badass with those things on dude i don't get why people don't horse fucking helmets wear those make you look like a human mushroom it's like, <laughs> yeah it's big and wide the rim is like two inches out from your head it's yeah. definitely goofy looking and you're gonna look even dumber wearing a motorcycle helmet on a horse so yeah, yeah it's it, it definitely makes you look like a dumbo but it's better than dying but um I'd anyways so. yeah so that, that connection between that you can have between a human and a horse is very special to me right and and it's um it's it's really not something i can describe easily to people um alex is actually uh she she got to see me ride a couple years back whenever i went to uh to visit my mom whenever we went to visit my mom together uh the christmas before last and she i remember her saying like like after watching you ride i understand why you love horses so much mm. because it's like i can describe it um but when you see it it's different when you see oh, me interacting with horse is different and then when you're actually doing it it's a totally different thing it's kind of it reminds me kind of like of, of music you know it's like maybe you don't listen to maybe you don't like listening to the song on the radio or on your on your in your headphones, but then you see the person perform it live, and you're like, "Wow, that was amazing!" Right, and except then you're it's even performing the music; it's a whole another ball game. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that that would be like, I would almost compare the description of your connection to a horse versus being there and experiencing it as the difference between looking at a piece of sheet music, yeah, and hearing it live yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. it's that it's that far it removed from um from the experience it like, is dude. especially since people have like this movie idea of of horse riding where it's like yeah right, right. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're like smacking the reins and the, the my favorite movie trope of horses is the um the rear up and neigh at the same time 
Oh, where yeah, yeah. Movies will depict a horse rearing and then going. Yeah. Horses can't really do that. <laughs> like, they can't right. rear and neigh at the same time. You see a horse right. rear, it's almost, it's, it's, it's going to be a silent thing because they're yeah. using their entire core muscles to support this massive fucking body on their back feet. They right. can't also do the neigh, which is this huge, like, uh, you know, diaphragmatic yeah. uh, thing. So the the rear and neigh thing has always been my favorite. <laughs> like, that's uh, so dumb. I've never right. seen a horse rear and neigh at the same time. And uh, I've been around them my entire life. Um, yeah, that's So, yeah, people, people just have all these weird uh, ideas of what it is to see somebody ride a horse. And then when you right. watch me ride a horse... It's like you don't really see me doing a lot, mm. aside from yeah, looking subtle, like I'm. It's all subtle, and it's j- par- partially because I'm I'm dressage trained to a degree, and dressage is uh, it's is partly because I'm dressage trained. <laughs> well, dressage is, is you're supposed to stand completely still. If you watch a professional dressage rider, yeah. they're it's it's like watching one of those stabilized chicken cams or something like that. Like on their back, they're you can't see a damn thing. They're just. Mm. All of the stuff is like these subtle little wrist movements. Yeah. And so when I'm riding a horse like Summer, mo- the 90% of my controls are in my wrists and in my fingers. And mm-hmm. you can't even perceive them as somebody watching it. So it kind of looks like I'm just sitting on the back of the horse and the horse is doing all the work. Um, Which is kind of part of it. but it, I mean, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Like, you're, it looks like the, hor- the horse like is the just horse doing is whatever deciding, it wants. Yeah, yeah, it looks like the horse is deciding what to do, but actually it's obeying my every command. Um, and, and most of the stuff, um, I, I, I said 90% of the stuff is in my wrist. That's only the hand movements. The, actually, the majority of the commands come from my feet, mm. Some, from slight pressure changes in the, in the flank. So can you can you just give us like a couple just brief examples of different commands that you would do with your feet and how you would execute them in different different ways? Yeah, yeah. So um, for example, when I'm when I'm riding in a straight line, and I want to turn, I give a a, a, a little wrist flick on the left side. Like say I want to turn left, I give yeah. a little wrist flick on the left side to the. To the outside or the inside? The inside of the turn with my inside. wrist, with my hand, with the rein. And the, the yeah, obviously, yeah. The, so the rein is connected flick, to the mouth. Uh, and which then way you, do you flick it? What? In what direction do you flick it? Um, down. So down. I'm holding my I'm holding my wrists kind of like that with the palms down to the. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you just give a little, little flick. Just a little little turn of the wrist. Very, yeah. very subtle, and and with with a, it depends on the horse. But with a horse like Summer, you use what's called a a, a hard bit um, rather than a soft bit, because soft bits are designed to not really like for horses that really need a good tugging, and it's not going to hurt them. Hard mm. bits are designed to be used in a lot more subtle movements. Yeah. So it, it like. You give soft bits to beginner riders and stubborn horses who are uh, who have very strong mouths. Right. To a horse like Summer, she's got a sensitive mouth, and I'm I'm mm. an experienced rider. She's an experienced horse, so I use a hard bit, and so I I only have to do little little movements with the reins right. for her mm. to know exactly what I want to do, and then so I'm turning left. I give a little wrist flick with my left hand, and then actually I put a little pressure 
with my right leg. So with your leg, you actually use the outside of the turn. So if I want to turn left, Whoa. I use the right leg. If I want That's to turn right, I use the left leg. super interesting because you can actually get there's like a there's like a physics yeah thing that's going on there where you, they can kind You're of turning the head yeah and yeah 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 it's 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 very interesting but it's like opposing the centripetal force or some shit like yeah, that yeah like the the sort of um with your leg yeah your leg is is taking the sort of vertex of the angle you're trying to turn at yeah wow that's super cool so but are um, there like do you like if you like flick your foot like out or like or do you have like all like subtle shit where you like oh i did a double heel click so like <laughs> she knows to like neigh and rear <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's there's something that's very interesting called collecting where if you um it's it's kind of hard to describe the motion but if you 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 basically you pull the rein in a certain way mostly on one side but also slightly to the other side and then you and and that uh, if you pull both reins at the same time that indicates a stop but you don't pull it with constant tension you flick with um sort of like oscillating tension mm -hmm. and then you put pressure with both legs and uh, put, putting pressure with both legs indicates go and then mm. pulling on both reins indicates stop. So if you put pressure with both legs and then, and uh, different horses have different commands, so this isn't going to be a universal thing. Right. But then you flick with the reins, they do what's called collecting. And this is, this is the first step in what's called passage, which is passage. the, uh, and people w will recognize this, which that's the gait that's kind of like a march, kind of like a prancy uh -huh. walk that horses right. do. Uh, but yeah, yeah. collecting is a normal thing in normal uh, kind of intermediate riding. And what it does is it causes them to kind of pull their neck back a little bit and, you know, pull their, their chin down towards their chest and pull their mm -hmm. head up. And what collecting does is it prevents them from getting too, like, um, you call it giving them their head too much. Yeah, you get so that if they're kind collected, of extension forward, right? Yeah, you have a lot more control with the bit. Ah, uh, yeah, with the... Oh, because you're not moving yeah, against the yeah, whole sinew yeah, of their neck, Yeah, because they can't right? really move their head around. And right, so they're, they're, they're like this, and so you have yeah. a lot more control with the bit, and so they have, they have uh, it, the, the, the commands you can use are more delicate. Whoa, that's very interesting interesting stuff huh yeah <laughs> yeah y'all didn't know that i was a horseman like this huh um super cool man but yeah you can actually there's there's other subtle commands and you can get them to from that position do passage and um i've i've shown alex <laughs> me do passage with uh with summer it's very fun to see Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I collected her and then ran her across a field too with a beer in my hand and going, yee-haw! <laughs> and then at the end, I showed him, I said, I didn't spill a drop. Oh, man. The only um, thing missing from that was for you to fucking pull out a saber <laughs> and then do the double heel click <laughs> and rear back while she neighs at the same time, impossibly. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, oh, doing man. a guttural roar at the same yeah. time. I may have been a cavalryman in my past life or something like that because, goddamn, do I love I horses. See it. I'm um, sure. I didn't I'm even get into my historical <laughs> stuff yet. So Hit me, dude. 
hit us. <laughs> so this is uh, this is one of the in, uh, as I mentioned before. You know, you got dogs domesticated probably over thirty thousand years ago. Horses were only domesticated around four to five thousand years ago. Whoa. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's very interesting. Oh, I, I would be really curious what other kind of, like, you know, ox and, yeah. and like, mm-hmm. uh, like bovines. Because I always just, like, imagine. Yeah, yeah, you'd think that horses would have been one of the first ones. Exactly. I just imagine, like, whenever I think of agriculture in the beginning, you like, I mean, I guess it makes sense that you would, yeah, but you, it would make sense that the first while, like, they you wouldn't have that figured out yet, right? Like that's something well, that you kind of develop. Like, here's here's one thing that I that I think about whenever I think about the domestication of horses. I'm amazed that people were able to do it. Oh yeah, I, it, dude. it's mind boggling. <gasps> like you could, it, dude, I, I can imagine somebody domesticate. Crazy. Well, wolves naturally gravitated towards humans. That was one of the well, things yeah, is that <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. they were kind of like following these hunter gatherers, you know, yeah. they're following the, the, the tribes of humans because they, they pick at the bones, you know, they're scavenging the hunts. They're sitting yeah. on the outside of the fire. And eventually you get a human, you know, a human tribe that's like, oh, you know, throws the wolf some meat and then the wolf protects the humans from other wolves and Dude, other predators. I and, and imagining yeah. those like the initial the first contact. stages of like of that because that that must that kind of relationship must have developed over generations right yeah. and then you have i i believe you would have like you would have mythological you know narratives and stories yeah. about the wolves and how they interacted with our with our ancestors and then like yeah. you have this whole thing develop that fascinates me and and it's and so it is cool. Like, it makes sense from one perspective, but it's also really fucking... Because, dude, the wolf, like, for for me, the, the way that it looks... Like, it's a predator, right? Versus a horse, which is a prey animal, right? Like, it's yeah. a flight animal. So so there's a, a little bit of a different... Like, I still think... I still agree with you that horse... The initial domestication of horses was probably much more difficult than wolves but there is this interesting thing where because wolves were predators it's like it it makes it this really crazy kind of like clash right of like danger but then there's like this weird symbiosis that's really developing apex predators when you really think about it yeah especially back then yeah Uh, you know both of us are top of the food chain except for we don't really eat each other Right. Humans have never really hunted wolves. Wolves have never really hunted humans. So it's we only like, hunted them when we got when we became when we, stupid and yeah, got we our to, Victorian we to Darwinian fucking nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> fucking uh, uh, Descartes. Goddamn Descartes. Never, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a combination of different thinkers, right? Like I'll never, I'll never, you know, he's one of the fucking most famous, most lauded philosophers ever. I'll never forgive him. For his attitude towards animals as automata. Oh um, right, right. Um, but yeah, so horses were. Uh, if if you have ever been around a wild horse, first of all, they just run away almost immediately. Yeah, I mean it. It, it would be very very difficult to even get near a wild horse. Riding a wild horse isn't exercise and madness 
Mm. I mean, this is you got to think. This is before saddles and bridles and all these different oh, yeah. like co- like control methods. You just hang on. People for dear just life. yeah, just grab on, Bare grab back. onto the mane, and just fucking go as yeah, you're trying to buck just you go off until and shit. they get tired, basically. Like or what? And, and most people listening to this, and I think you as well, have never tried like had a horse try and buck them off. It is hard to stay on a horse that is bucking a domesticated horse when you have a saddle and a bridle. Mm. I can't imagine jumping on the back of a wild horse with nothing and trying it trying to buck you off and shit. Like that is mind-boggling to me. And I know the Native Americans did this. Mm. Like it's 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 very well documented that they they would domesticate horses in this sort of fashion like they jump onto a fucking wild horse it's it, it i don't understand how it happened and um by the way that actually gets me into uh, another one of my interesting historical facts so there was actually horse ancestors in north america and they went extinct mm. um was that during the uh the mass extinction of all the uh what what were they called? Uh, when when was that? Was that like during the last ice age or? So yeah, it was probably many millions of years ago. Oh, millions of years ago. What? Um, yeah, because these these horse ancestors are not what we would modern would what we would consider to be horses nowadays. These are like four toed. We would honestly, if we saw one, we'd probably consider it to be more akin to a dog than a horse. I wonder. So the I'm earliest horse ancestors we know about are are four toed. And, and as when, we know, when, uh, horses when did they only roam the planet? Toe. This is this is around fifty million years ago. Fifty million years ago. Yes. Okay. Holy so hell. these are the earliest horse ancestors I know. Fifty-five million years. Um, and they we have evidence of these sorts of things being in North America until like I think like twenty million years ago. Um, and as I said, they had they had four toes. So this is another very interesting thing about the horse. The horse is a one-toed creature. So they have that that hoof that we think of. That's actually a fingernail. He. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you you, you know um, th- this is fascinating to me. A little anatomy here. So if you think about your arm, you look at a horse. You think that horse has a backward knee. Right? Yeah. That backward knee that you're thinking about, that is their wrist. Oh, yeah, yeah. So their right. their wrist, and in, in, in this is obviously in, in uh, context of our anatomy. So if you think of that backward knee thing, that's the wrist. Yeah. Above that is their their forearm or their, their uh, you know, we, like your, their shin, their yeah. lower leg. And then their knee is actually up where we would consider them to have hips. Right. And then they have another joint. So they have, yeah, they have the same, they have the same anatomy as us. It's just elongated. Right. And it's just one fucking toe stump at the end of the wrist (laughs) instead of a hand. Yeah. So their, their hand is tech is what we would look at as their shin. And their finger is that is their hoof down at the bottom, and the the nail is the hoof part. Yeah. So mm. that's why they seem to have a backwards leg anatomy compared to us. That's very interesting. 
And um, one of the the unique things about um, equine um, anatomy like this is that pretty much all of their muscle is up in the the knee and hip area. Yeah, you know, all all that stuff down in the in you know what we consider either their shin or their forearm or whatever. You know, around this this seemingly backwards joint, oh, it's all like is, tendons and it's ligaments, almost right? All tendons and ligaments. There's very yeah. there's very little muscle mass down there. Obviously, there's yeah. muscle, there's musculature and nerves and stuff, but there's very it's little like muscle fascia mass. and it's like connective tissue. Yeah, basically. it's mostly connective tissue, and it gives them this sort of spring like anatomy that's very efficient. So, mm. and horses in particular are one of the most like bang for your buck like size to efficiency like one of the highest ratios oh right yeah and part of it is because Mm. of that one toe because the whole of their energy that they use to come down in each step it um oh it just drives through that one fucking one spot and wow. it, there's actually um, the 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 number I heard was a forty percent energy makeup. So forty percent of the energy that is put uh. into each step is made up through this spring-like anatomy. So they they're they're yeah. just conserving all this energy. So horses are not only fast; they're not as fast as something like a you know an antelope or something like that, or some other you know springy animals. But they're they can they're huge first of all. I yeah, mean, you know, you look at you look at something like an antelope. There's very very small compared to a horse. Horses are, you know, well over a thousand pounds. They're like elk. They're huge. Yeah, and yet they're very efficient. They have incredible endurance. They can just jog for miles and miles and miles. Hmm. So they they have this incredible um, weight to uh, endurance ratio amongst the animal kingdom. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why we domesticated them, because as I was saying earlier, it's kind of hard to ride a, a a fucking alpaca. You can't really ride one. You can't really ride a goat. Even donkeys, you know, you can you can put a light person on a donkey. Yeah, but it's, it's not, not ideal not, though. It's not ideal to to ride a donkey. You can also, ride a horse and use it as a pack animal at the same time, and you can do it for miles and miles. Yeah, so this is really this is something that's really really interesting is if we if we uh go back and and make the connection to the llama mm-hmm. like and and kind of the yeah, the evolutionary uh pressure to develop certain traits like the horse is a grassland yeah. It's like wide open plains, right? There's, there's no verticality or there's, there's there's little verticality compared to a mountainous animal like exactly. a goat or an alpaca. Yeah, and and like as many people uh traveling west during the westward expansion in in the in the US found out the hard way, horses are not great for like mountain mountain passes and shit it depends on the breed but yeah in general especially compared to something like a goat yeah or or a llama exactly and so but it's so fascinating that you have like so yeah the the llama this is this creature that's operating in the mountainous region of the andes so it develops Mm -hmm. these very specific traits to be able to trek through the mountains very efficiently 
but then they're sacrificing other traits, right? Because like yeah, the, so those big example, ass toes are have, not great if you have like a really jagged fucking surface, right? So you want to like develop yeah. these other traits, right? Yeah, when in that in that two fingered toe that a lot of these other um, mountainous uh, hooved creatures have, it helps them grip into you know little little handholds, footholds, yeah. hoof holds in the rocks. Um, like for example, Arabians, Arabian horses. You know, mm. obviously, they they've evolved to go on these vast sandscapes. So their hooves are very wide and splayed out, mm. and they're very sensitive. You have to be yeah. careful with Arabians' hooves. Summer, for mm. example, she needs to be shod if she's going to be in rocks. I don't think my mom shod, shods her anymore because she's not doing a ton and, and because it's just she and I riding her we can guide her in areas where there's not as many rocks but generally speaking if you have a, a horse of certain breeds especially Arabian um, breeds which a lot of horses have Arabian in them all thoroughbreds have Arabian blood in them and, and racing horses that's what thoroughbreds are um, mm. and they, they have sensitive hooves so you have to shoe them and as in putting right. you know those metal horseshoes on them yeah if, and because if you're riding if you're riding them through anything besides very soft ground their hooves get all fucked up right my mom's halflinger on the other hand uh rainbow she is halflingers are are um from like the the norwegian areas Oh yeah, yeah. Halflingers mm. and fjords. They're some of my favorite horses. Very docile, very just stubborn Sturdy. as fuck. They're, they're they're basically like horse versions of dwarves, like fantasy dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> they're short. They're super stocky, super fucking strong. Rainbow could carry three people and a bunch of pack stuff. Like she's so right. strong, and yeah, she's the but boss. Not as like, quick as uh, Summer, probably. Yeah, and and, and you, you, my mom's had her in in different you know pack circumstances but if rainbow gets kicked by another horse just doesn't even phase her just and she she's just so she's so big so strong and and so tough that she's the boss because horses can kick her and she'll just be like all right you can kick me i'll kick you right back and you're not gonna hurt me and i will hurt you she's the boss (laughs) she's the smallest horse by far wow and her hooves you can ride her in rocks and mountainous terrain all day long, no shoes, doesn't bother her a bit. And mm. it's because where she, where her breed grew up is this rocky, mountainous terrain. So this is this kind of gets back into the uh, the the sort of animal eugenics thing of depending on where we've bred these horses as humans they've they've developed all these different qualities arabians are extremely fast over yeah. flat soft terrain mm. and and fjords and halflingers are not fast at all but you swap their environments and they're they're totally out of out of place and they're they're gonna get fucked up i mean you stick a fjord in the desert and they're gonna be like hot as shit right. you gotta you gotta shave them sometimes if they're in hot environments mm. um so it's very interesting to to kind of look at the 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 vast differences between these breeds of horses. Um, nice. I was thinking, but, um, if you, I don't know how much more you have left in the in the realm of horses, but I was thinking, depending on how much you have left, you can um, 
either just keep rolling or start wrapping it up while I just take a quick leak. Yeah, you, yeah, you can take a piss, and then I'll I gotta be, wrap I'll it up back. here in, in pretty soon. Like I said, we could we could do a fucking part two on this stuff too. I mean, I don't yeah, think maybe, I have time to get to cats, but yeah, maybe we'll save cats for for another time. Uh, but I'll I'll be right back for sure. So, for you listeners, I'll keep on going. So, this is one of the interesting things that uh, that I found. Horses, long before they were domesticated, we have a lot of evidence of them actually being hunted by humans and Neanderthals. So, um, I'm sure you've all heard of that trope of mammoths being, like, crowded to the edge of a cliff and, and kind of shunted over the edge, which is historically dubious. We, we A lot of... Um, anthropologists and such they, they think that that's not so much what it was rather than um, um, the uh, the hunters basically crowding them against a cliff like at the bottom of the cliff and then killing them rather than pushing them over the edge that could have happened but um, it's it's a little more dubious than than uh, some people might think um, but yeah there is there's examples in the fossil record of Neanderthals and humans hunting horses. And this gets back to what I was saying before, that domesticating a horse must have been just a hell of a task. So they're originally hunted, and this is another very, very interesting thing to me, and, and I think to probably to most people, because whenever we think of milk, we think of cows, but horses were actually milked, and they still are today in many areas. So um, uh, I was just saying, Hank, Hank's back now. I was just uh, talking about how horses were originally hunted by both humans and Neanderthals. Mm, interesting. Long before they were domesticated. And, oh, uh, man. And, yeah, so they're, and they're milked to this day. <clears throat> and uh, so we've, we've used them throughout the spectrum as food as a prey animal as a transportation method as a milk producer um fur you know hides all these different things and um what were you about to say you sounded excited i was just gonna say that uh one of the there's fascinating the relationship between um the Mongolians and horses, oh, their yeah. whole that like the that was what I was gonna mainly wrap up with was was kind of our relationship to horses with war. Yeah, as like a military technology. Wow. Yeah, dude, because it's probably the most powerful military technology from the time they were domesticated to about a hundred years ago. Hmm. I mean, they they only lost their military dominance in World War One. Before right. that, cavalry was still the preeminent military technology. Right. Yeah, I guess it depends on exactly what you're what you're. Uh, I mean, definitely in op- in open combat, right? Maybe not for like a siege or something, but I mean, they would be involved regardless as as a part of any. Even during army. sieges, because this is this is uh, the interesting part that people don't realize with with horses in warfare, and um, 
my recent foray into World War One even opened my eyes to it because I knew it was, this was a thing, but I didn't realize just how much of a thing. They were used to transport everything. So oh, all yeah, of your of logistics is based right. around warfare. Even in, in a siege, you know, how are you going to get all those catapults and all that fucking right. all stone and stuff? You're going to yeah, transport it with horses. That's a great point. That's a great point. So regardless of what sort of military endeavor you're involved in, if it's before 1915, you're using horses. Right. In almost every step of the way. And those artillery pieces... In in World War Two, they were put in place with horses. And the if you look at if you look at like casualty numbers, it's very interesting to see just how many millions of horses died during that war. Millions of horses. Yes. Because I mean they were just blasted by artillery and shit. Yeah. I mean that's your that's your logistical arm. If you if you slaughter all yeah. their horses, they're fucked. Oh man, that's crazy. So, there is a ton of horses involved in World War One, and this is one of my favorite facts about World War One. When you first, you can there's, you can actually look at pictures of this. In 1914, when um, specifically when the French were going off to war, you can actually see pictures of French cavalrymen in like Napoleonic garb, and oh, obviously yeah, yeah. it's in black and white, but they're wearing like crimson, like bright red pants. Blue uniforms, you know, all all this frogging and shit, and you know, with these big plumed hats, like they're they're it's Napoleonic cavalry going off to fight against, and you know, three four years later, you've got tanks, artillery, planes, trench warfare, barbed wire, and these motherfuckers just a few years earlier were riding off to war with basically muskets and horses. Yeah, what we would think of as like like civil war french revolution napoleonic war type shit it's funny because both of the examples that we've brought up were both courtesy of dan carlin shout out to dan carlin for being a fucking legendary historian especially when it comes to military history like i just i he's unrivaled he actually specifically tries to mention over and over again that he's not a historian He's yeah, actually, I, he's an entertainer, but he he's a he, and and I have I've read some stuff that like uh, from historians that say just remember that Dan Carlin is an entertainer doing history stuff, not a historian doing entertaining stuff. But he does an incredible amount of research and and puts a ton of effort into his stuff. So it's like, you know, it's it's vast majority of it is historically accurate. He just puts his own little flavor on it, and it's great. That yeah, and I mean, dude, like that's fantastic. to me that's what that's why I didn't like history growing up because yeah. it was so it was just dull. It was just completely devoid of any experiential any flavor, personality, n- n- nothing. It, didn't it bring was just you there. It was just Dan Carlin dates. brings you there. That's exactly. The thing. So like to me, he's he's. A histor- uh, to me, he's a fucking historian, and he's worth listening to. Maybe these other fucking people with their books and their fucking uh, dry ass. Well, actually, I mean, that's important, too. He said that too. it was in April, and it was actually in May. Yeah, exactly. Like, shit like that. It's just, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I get it. It's important to have people doing that. But but for me, like, for the yeah. for the layperson who, who's actually interested in learning something and being engaged in a, in a story, something Someone like that is way more valuable. Yeah, and, and I think particularly he, he does focus a lot on 
the military aspect of yeah. this different stuff, which I find fascinating. The, yeah, yeah anyone who wants to learn more about about specifically, I mentioned with the Mongols and the way that they used horses. That in uh, he has a series, The Wrath of the Khans, where that's a part of it. And I, I haven't mean, we, listened to that one yet. I was thinking about making making that one my next one. I haven't, haven't listened to Wrath of the Khans yet. Oh no. my! I've listened dude. to a few of his series, but I haven't I haven't done Wrath of the Khans. Dude, yet. that was my favorite one. That is my favorite. It's my so favorite one so far has cool. been the last one I listened to, which is a Blueprint for Armageddon. It was fucking. I mean it. Yeah, he's. Incredible. It was. It was a little heavy. I mean. Yeah. It's one of those well, things, and, yeah. and a lot of these. I mean. Same thing with the with the Mongols and the Romans. Like, if you listen to the history of this kind of stuff, especially like you said, when. Um, Dan Carlin is a little little more focused on the militaristic a- aspect because he's more interested in that. It, it, it is going to be heavy, but yeah, holy shit! Like listening to the the numbers alone. Oh god, it's crazy. Of World War One, and obviously the numbers are bigger in World War Two, but it was more because of the technology and sort of like civilian bombing. Yeah, but just the horror of warfare oh, in World War One. It's man. it's hard to listen to, but yeah, um, yeah. Getting back to. Uh, Back to fun animal facts. Yeah, right. <laughs> do, do, you, do you think we have time to uh, to do one more? Um, I think so. So let me wrap up horses real quick here. Okay. Um. So the 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 last big thing about horses that I um, that I wanted to mention is that I, I mean I've I've already kind of hinted at it, um, but. In warfare, obviously, it's a big deal. You know, the, as I said, they've been kind of the preeminent military technology um, from probably four to five thousand BC up until nineteen fourteen. And you know, this that that to me alone is fucking mind-boggling. So that's half of our history as a as a civilized, as we would call it, as an agricultural species um you know six thousand plus years of of preeminence as a transportation and military technology but when you when the the transportation part is also very interesting too civilian transportation because before trains it was the main way people got around was with horses Horses, especially in the chariots in the states, in Europe, in um, obviously there was a lot of camels in Arabia, but there was also right. a lot of horses. Oh yeah, like um, anytime you're doing long distance travel. Yeah, for sure. I, that's what I'm. I'm not necessarily talking about like urban travel. I'm talking like 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 yeah, going from town to town. Yeah, uh, right. You know, traveling. Yeah. Um, it was it was horses, donkeys, oxen in some areas. Um, but horses were the preeminent mode because of that endurance that I was talking about before, that endurance to size and strength ratio. Yeah. And this is a, this is some interesting stuff. So in the United States, you can actually see this in some areas still, and I'm sure that this that you can see it all over Europe. But uh, I just happen to have experienced this in the United States. There's actually a lot of towns that were built, like New Orleans, um, before there were automobiles 
Hmm. So some of the streets are still not designed for cars. They're designed hmm. for horses. Whoa. And there's a lot of places in Europe like that where the streets are very thin because you didn't need to fucking drive a four-wheeled car down. You were, you were riding horses and carts hmm. down that street. Yeah. And there's actually some funny uh, um, historical quotes that you can drag up about, like, in certain municipalities in certain urban areas the um because one reason or another you know things weren't managed very well horse shit in the streets was a big problem <laughs> a much bigger problem than people would think hmm. and in some places the horse shit would just like literally like like the street would be made out of horse shit because it's just piled up you know, right. it, there's, there's, it's been trampled down. So there's like a few inches of packed in horse shit on the street. Right. Instead of smog, they just have <laughs> shit streets. <laughs> shit. Designated <laughs> shitting streets. <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can imagine it, people like complaining about traffic back then. Be like, can you fucking believe this, man? Fucking. Uh, whatever the main street the traffic the French was so quarters fucking three inches thick like three inches thick the traffic was so bad today I had our shit right on my face it was it was it was ass to nose um <laughs> instead of bumper to bumper <laughs> yeah uh. oh man yeah so um yeah horses have uh I think Overall, I think that horses have contributed to human history more than any other animal. Mm, and that is my my hot take. Oh, okay, okay. So that this is cool because we're gonna segue into something where you could almost say the opposite because it is a creature so alien to our everyday lives that like they're most people never i mean everyone knows what this creature is and and people if you come into contact with one or if you hear about it you're surely going to be fascinated by it because it is just like it's literally this the stuff of lovecraftian uh horrors right like like you're talking about a redditor redditor right exactly i'm talking about a redditor <laughs> No, I'm talking or about maybe a four channer, the octopus. Okay, <laughs> I uh, love that you brought up Lovecraft. By the way, the tentacles. Yeah, I love Cthulhu, the tentacles. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, the, okay, dude. First of all, I I have to just take a moment, and this is this is a bit shameful that that I I have to admit something. I've been using the incorrect pluralization trying of to use octopus the word octopi yeah which is incorrect it's Can actually just go on sorry <laughs> really stealing my thunder I'm, here bud i'm offended i'm offended really really stealing my thunder here uh <laughs> well yeah you, you you uh you said it like i i just assumed that it would be because the other puss things that were yeah maybe like a platypus for example puss thing. it's uh if you if you I pluralize the platypus or actually 
the cactus. Uh, I'm not sure about this. The cactus. Yeah, that's a good example. Uh, the cactus, because you and I grew up in Arizona. This is probably where you got this perception from, because I know exactly. it's where I got my perception from. Exactly. Cactus, so, the, so the cactus is cacti. And I think what it is is that the if we go into like the etymology, um, so octopus comes from Greek and the way that the suffixes work in greek it like depends on if it's masculine or feminine and then also like what the last vowel or like the last consonant was before the suffix mm -hmm. so it could be i or uh it could be as so it's actually octopuses i've been calling yeah. them octopi for many many years and because of this feature of Greek, I guess sometimes it's an I and sometimes it's an S, but I, yeah. I think it's also maybe Latin will be an I. Like I think maybe cat, maybe I wonder if cactus, uh, if the root of that is a is a Latin thing or if it's also Greek or something else. I'm I don't not know. sure. Anyway, cactuses from an American thing. Are there, are there cactuses or cacti over there in? Uh... Um, Definitely not in not in not in Northern Europe not in, for sure. Not in, I mean, not in I, I'm, sh I'm sure they have cacti in. Um, you think like down if, in like the go, Middle East and and you if know, you go like further the, south the in the more more desert regions, there's definitely going to be some cacti. But we have some. Um, yeah, I mean, th there's specific uh, cacti growing like in the Southwest that doesn't grow anywhere else in the world. Like yeah. the Sonoran Desert's the only yeah, place the, where you can the find iconic. The, Cactus is the uh, the saguaro. Yeah, exactly. Uh, At least okay. not, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe the, maybe the saguaro isn't depicted outside of the United States. I, th like I think it is because when I say that kind of shit. Well, well, I think for the West, you know, yeah. many people see these old westerns. A lot of many of those were filmed in Sedona and yeah. like in the Sonoran Desert. So in like the that, Sonoran Desert, yeah. That when people think about the desert, I felt they very special whenever I realized that. They're like, oh, it's just this one area that all these desert scenes are based on. Yeah, and I lived there. Really, really cool. So that was just the first thing I wanted to clear up. It's actually octopuses. Okay, yes. so all the people octopuses. who were corrected pompously by people who were like, it's actually octopi, octopi, which I don't think I ever did, but I just called them you can, octopi. You can pompously. <laughs> hit back and say exactly actually, exactly. actually the latin is uh depends on the <laughs> actually suffix, the way the uh, greek suffix works yeah, uh, the vowels before the suffix actually uh, necessitate octopuses is the proper term. yeah so there is a little bit of semantics for everyone but i did focus more on on the biology of of uh octopuses because it's fucking fascinating it's absolutely bonkers yeah, uh, what mind-boggling creatures is super cool creatures very alien to us so so let me let me just start start rolling so uh the earliest um and or like ancestors like the pre-octopus ancestors were these mollusk like creatures so they they had a shell and they existed 500 million years ago. Like these were like the proto -oct octopuses, right? Like the am, am, what are they? Uh, ammonites or whatever. 
I don't. The, well, the, the I'm not exactly spiral sure what the shell things. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what what, what's called? the name of those? Oh, I know exactly things. what you're talking I'm about. I'm thinking of the. Po- I'm thinking of the Pokemon name, the Ammonite. <laughs> right. <laughs> what were those? Okay, I'm not gonna be able to remember, but. All right, well, keep going. I'll look it up. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're thinking about there's this classic fossils from ridiculous yeah. long time ago, right? Um, that that we can find, but basically, so so these creatures they had shells, you know, like a uh, snails or mollusks, and like you know you see it's different. It's an ammonite. Ammonite am- is, is, is is the. Uh, oh yeah. okay. Extinct um, at the end of the Cretaceous period. Mm. Ancient tentacled, spiral shelled things. Yeah, so those were p- probably some of the ancestors of mm-hmm. of the of octopuses, right? And and but there's something that's it's really interesting to to remember this because initially those creatures, their primary defense mechanism is their shell, right? Mm-hmm. So if anything comes up that's going to try to fuck with them, they just whoop, retreat, <laughs> retreat into the shell and they're good, right? But at some point these octopus ancestors left the shell and they ventured forward into the deep with their squishy vulnerable bodies right now all of a sudden there any predator can roll up and f- munch them up why yeah i mean and that's ammonites were around for millions of years wonder Dude. why they left the shell why? that's who fucking knows right who we don't fucking know but knows? The crazy Somebody thing smarter is, than us probably knows. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. But maybe. So, maybe, so here's maybe the they cool don't. thing. We don't know a lot of things. Yeah, we, we don't know most things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that statement. We don't know most things. It's true. <laughs> it is Even true. collectively. So, okay, th- I love this. I love imagining this, right? So, So you have these creatures. They leave the safety of their hard shell, and they venture into the unknown. They're soft. The deep. They're vulnerable. But they're smart. And they're squishy. Okay? So one of the things that's crazy about the octopus is they are escape artists. They can squeeze through any hole as long as it's bigger than their eyeball. Okay? Bro. Watching octopi- uh, octopuses. Sorry, I almost made the slip up. I almost made the foolish mistake. Watching octopuses squeeze through small jars and shit. Like you can see videos of this. Yeah, it is so fucking weird to watch. Mind blowing. It's so mind blowing. They can squeeze through any hole as long as it's bigger than their eye. Okay, so you can imagine uh, them gravitating towards coral reefs and rocky areas and. Things and kind of hanging out holes that they can they can into. squeeze in and and peace out when when the when the predators come right yeah, they're damn near liquid and speaking of which uh so i guess we we can talk a little bit about some of their defense mechanisms right so that's one of them like they're they can get in they can squeeze into very tight places right mm-hmm. another thing uh that many people know about the octopus is that uh one of its defense mechanisms is an ink that it uses but what many people don't know is that the ink is actually highly toxic so not only does it blind predators but it also disrupts their sense of smell and taste and it's toxic so if an octopus 
can't escape its own ink cloud, it can die. That's how toxic this ink is. That's crazy. It's very, very interesting. By the way, did you know that we, that as humans, we have traditionally used cephalopod ink in writing? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, a historical fact for you. Yeah, that's an in, that's definitely an interesting mm-hmm. interesting one, right? So maybe it could be argued that they actually had a bigger impact than the horse. No. Writing, dude? <laughs> because ah. most writing wasn't done in cephalopod ink. Probably not, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> that was a good that was a good contention. Good try, a good, good, a good try. try, a good try. I'll fucking fight somebody over over the impact, <laughs> the historical impact to the horse. Okay, <laughs> that that was just a fun little little. I go simp there. for horses. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a derisive uh, comment, by the way. Even yeah. though it may have may have yeah, sounded. Fuck like off. That. Yeah, I can tell, dude. <laughs> Look at your fucking hair. <laughs> My mane, you mean? <laughs> Your mane, exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. More things, dude. Another thing. They developed some of the most powerful camouflage techniques known yeah. to the universe. Okay? Dude, if you – I'm, I'm get, we're going to put this in the show notes. I'm going to link this video. It's called yeah, – link it to me for uh, – Yeah, I got it written down. It, uh, it's called The Insane Biology of the Octopus, and there's a specific clip that I want people to look at. It's a long video. Um, timestamp it. Or I but, can. yeah, the, it, the clip starts at – If you give me the timestamp, I can timestamp it in the link. Okay, great. So, yeah, if that doesn't work for some reason, it starts at 2.57. It should should yeah, work, I, but I can I can make I can make the link make nice like start so just to whatever. see the 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 breadth and depth of their camouflage ability it is absolutely mind blowing so they have they're fucking masters of disguise okay they they have three layers of skin containing like one of them contains these pigment sacks with like black red and yellow pigment that they can they use these muscles to like stretch the sacks and and to it uh makes the color visible on their skin so they can change the color of their skin by kind of inflating in some sense those pigment sacks right and then the other layers of their skin they have different musculature dude it's so weird well well here well that's the thing is that's not even that yet so the other two layers of of skin that they have have different reflective structures that can reflect like one of them can reflect like blue green wavelength which gives them this like metallic shimmer mm-hmm. and then the last one uh reflects mostly like white so it's like this ambient it can give them this like glow like, it's like ambient light so they can they can uh, mimic like shadows and like brighter areas and stuff and then crazy. on the top Octopus they have this is ultimate artists yeah they're, they're it's amazing watching what they can do and then they have oh, yeah these, watching a video of this is super fucking it's, trippy it's so trippy man and then they have this the structure on the on the top of their skin that they can um they can 
raise or lower so they can change the texture of their skin with these different yeah. structures so that's like kind of that's what you one were of the craziest before. ones i've seen to like mimic the structure of like a coral reef exactly like their skin becomes like pointed and shit it's like what yes the fuck or they can they can have like totally raised areas and then you know they, yeah. they can create all kinds it's, of different it's like structures. spiked ridges like it literally looks like a rock so here's the crazy thing dude the connection here Okay, this blew my fucking mind. So two-thirds of the neurons in an octopus are in its fucking tentacles. Okay, so most of its cognition is embedded in its tentacles, which can, uh, first of all, they move independently. They can think independently. They can smell. They can taste. And they can feel, right? So this crazy thing is happening where each tentacle separately... And, but also, they're all connected, obviously, but also they can work independently. They'll feel, if, if it's going to activate the camo, oh, this is insane, dude. It, they'll feel the different, air, like, each tentacle will be feeling the surface that it's on and then mimic that with the different oh, um, man. textures. And then the the central brain, or it's not even really a central brain, but, like, the brain is watching the hub and 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 deciding like where it's gonna go and and you know and that's kind of and the colors and stuff like it's looking at that and then the tentacles are like getting the texture and the so imagine being able to taste and smell through your hands yeah imagine being able to and pick think. up a sandwich <laughs> and 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 taste the sandwich when you picked it up and then at the same time you're picking up a sandwich and tasting it as you're picking it up, you're also like holding your other hand over like a a a braille document and being able to read it. Yeah, <laughs> like all at once. To- dude, yeah, that's a that's a great um kind of analogy. Yeah. So that to me was really fucking cool. 2 thirds of the neurons are in the tentacles, okay? That's mind-blowing. So it's just a completely different, like, biological structure, right? Here's a couple more things that are really cool. First of all, they have three hearts. I love this. They have three hearts. Like, this is – it's so alien, dude. Three hearts. One of them – I love this fact, too. I love this. One of the hearts specifically supplies blood to the organs of the octopus. And that heart, it stops beating when they swim, so they Whoa. get tired from swimming, and that's why they prefer crawling, because that uh, heart keeps pumping while they're while they're crawling around. While they're while they're shuffling around with the yeah. tentacles on the bottom. Yeah. So swimming is like they're so running. Like they're they're you know they're, yes they're, they're a little like spread the tentacles out because yeah that that makes sense because that's one of the few times like when you're watching an octopus on video, like usually they're kind of disjointed because like you were saying that all their all their tentacles work independently but when you watch them swim everything works in concert in harmony yeah because they have to 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 do the swimming thing yeah so it's it it, it kind of like everything stops to like you said to run to go as fast as you can yeah it's probably just an escape method exactly they're they're only gonna method of locomotion Exactly. They're only going to swim. I mean, sometimes, obviously, they'll do it in play. Um, but I don't dude, think that's obvious. That's interesting. Dude, okay, we got to do an episode on play because this shit goes way deeper 
I think Dang. we got to do a part two to this episode. I mean, I would like, I would love to research more, learn more about about different animals. Like this yeah, is this we're, has been we're damn near so we're an hour and forty five minutes in. We're running up on two hours. Nice. We, we haven't even I haven't even gotten into into some of the other stuff that I brought. Yeah. So well, now we know that I think like probably four animals for one episode <laughs> is like the max probably because it depends on how deep we go. I'm almost done here though with with the the octopuses. Gotcha. So here's a one one last little thing that I thought was really cool and 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 I just love to I don't know to me looking at and studying the octopus it it really gives us a window into how amazingly creative nature is at like and evol- and evolution how evolution can fill different niches in these fascinatingly different and complex ways. So, and the first of that is like this thing with most of their cognition is in their tentacles, right? So that's like, okay, that's a completely different way of doing, of doing things, right? And then the three we hearts. literally and, can't even imagine what it would be. And the camouflage like. and all this stuff. Where it's just like, whoa, okay? But this, this is another one that is just like, dude, this is so cool octopuses have blue blood and it's copper based oh so they're pompous too fucking blue bloods so dude like i'm this blows my mind so so our blood is is uh iron based right we have this we have the hemoglobin and there's this copper based which makes it blue and it's like why is it blue right you think it'd be like cobalt or something like that rather than copper because when you think of copper you think of an orange tint or even maybe a green patina why is it blue well i guess when it's like really concentrated well well it would be the the combination of of red and green right because yeah you have the yellow blue's a blue's a primary color um so you you can't really combine anything to make blue oh yeah no i'm thinking of um thinking of purple um but for, yeah. but the maybe the uh, the the, uh, the tint combination maybe you know like, like yeah like because you can combine different things to make a blue color based on like the reflection of light it's just that certain colors they don't really make blue and it's may, maybe just the way that things reflect off of the blood I don't know that's uh, but that's very interesting I don't I don't know anything yeah. about this I'm just pulling shit out of my butt yeah so but check this out dude the, like so that's already like oh that's cool but then if we think about like oh why. Okay, they they have copper based blood. Why is yeah. that? And then why do they? You find electrically out electrically conductive, maybe. Well, here's the deal. This is so fucking cool. And and this is where you you see that with each like with with all of our traits, all of our genetic traits, and like m- these different adaptations. There's always pros and cons. So yeah. So the reason Evolution why. Points. Yeah. The the reason why it's copper based is it's more efficient at transporting oxygen when the water temperature is very low and when it's low Mm. oxygen environments so Ah. when it's colder and when it's lower oxygen copper works better at at um transporting oxygen so that's like whoa okay and then yeah so we live in a very oxygen rich environment exactly so we can we can afford to to use the hemoglobin and 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 it's interesting because 
because we're mammals we can we generate our own heat yeah. so low temperature isn't really that much of a problem because we're generating yeah. heat yeah because octopus octopuses are uh, cold-blooded yeah they're yes so yeah and which makes sense with the copper why that's so it's copper based blood right are there i mean are there any i i, I guess you would say like you know whales and stuff since they're uh they're mammals but um besides the oceanic mammals are there any warm-blooded oceanic creatures like are any fish or sharks or anything like that? i don't i think you know? i think warm-blooded like that that's mammals basically i think that's basically there's, yeah i don't think maybe there's a any few non- other ones yeah, I don't think there's any non-mammalian oceanic creatures that are warm-blooded. That's an interesting question. Yeah, I, let I us do know, not know. Hit us up on on Twitter or something <laughs> if you know the answer to this. That would be fucking yeah. awesome. Um, so okay, but then here's the trade-off, right? So okay, you get better oxygen transport at low temperatures and low oxygen levels, right? But it makes it makes them uh, really sensitive to changes in acidity. Okay, so if the if the pH if the pH balance of the water. if the pH of the water goes too low, then they can't circulate oxygen. As in too basic. Uh, let me think about that. Is high pH I is, is high acid, right? Low pH I, is high base. I thought it was the other way around. Let's just double check. You want to double check real quick? Yeah, I'll double check. So you go on. I'll double check. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. So, th- so this is a little bit alarming. I-, I believe that low pH is more acidic, which is an issue because uh, there is this kind of as- climate in climate change induced ocean acidification that is occurring. Yeah, you're right. Is- you're right. So, lower pH is more acidic. Higher pH. Yeah. Is so, more be- so because because the the seas and oceans are like a carbon sink they're uh becoming more acidic and also okay, you know so all the, the toxic the, shit that we're fucking yeah, dumping in there and the everything. acids are probably so they're <laughs> it's, it's patinating their blood yeah and and it's obviously it's not only you know like uh fish eggs are also sensitive to acidity yeah. and like we know that this is definitely causing a lot of problems so that's one thing that's very kind of unfortunate that's occurring but uh yeah that that was kind of the just like a quick little jump into the alien world of of the octopus i think it's an amazing creature i would highly recommend most amazing creatures anyone who hasn't seen um there's this documentary uh it's on netflix it's it's probably other places uh it's called my octopus teacher oh yeah i've heard of that i haven't actually checked it out dude watch that it's beautiful it's it's fucking it is so beautiful. I, I've heard I, nothing but good shit about it. I would highly recommend. I would highly recommend anyone to watch that, especially if you think uh, octopuses are cool. It's it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's if it's you don't really think well octopuses done. are cool, then what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> or actually, maybe I should ask, what are you into? Because what you're into must be really cool if you don't think an octopus is cool. Jesus Christ! What are you? What do you, what kind of fascinating things are you into to be bored by an octopus? I don't I don't I think the only people who are bored by 
I mean, it's, you know, it's very fair to be bored by us, but like to be bored by an octopus, you have to be like, you just have to be a boring person. In my opinion. They're fast. In my like, opinion, you have to be a boring person to be bored by us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just a little Hot take. Just a, one more pompous comment for for all of you <laughs> lovely listeners. We we fucking love you so much. We're we're so stoked to have you along with us on this on this ride on this journey. It's a it's a real pleasure to to know that we we got nameless homies out there in the world who are just coming along for the ride. Um, we we appreciate you. We love you. Thanks so much for listening. And um, you're welcome. <laughs> uh.